Glad to be with you again as we continue our series through Who's Your One. And um, before we get started, let's pray together together one more time. Lord, we just thank you now for this opportunity to hear from you. And uh, just pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning, you'd burden us this morning to be intentional, God, for our ones, Lord. Help us, God, think, uh, act, plan, strategize, pursue, God, with gospel intentionality, Lord, how we would desire, God, somebody to be pursuing us, Lord, if we were lost and didn't know you. And so I just pray, God, that you would uh, lay this upon our hearts, God, individually, God, corporately, uh, to pursue, to be intentional this morning for our one and above all, Lord, we just ask that your spirit, God, may work, Lord, on those on our hearts, God, those on this board here, our ones, Lord, that your spirit would work in drawing them to saving faith in you, that they may know the peace and the joy and the hope and the comfort that only comes, God, through Jesus Christ. So bless us this morning, we pray. Speak to us, uh, convict us, God, encourage us, strengthen us. We need you, Lord. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and as we've been talking about in this series, we're, we're prone to think of one as small and insignificant. Uh, for example, who wants just one cookie? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Uh, want more than one. Or we think of, well, what's the value of just one dollar? But the Bible, in, in many places, speaks of the importance, the significance of one. Uh, one pearl of great price. The shepherd left the 99 sheep to go find the one lost sheep. The one wayward son. We as disciples of Jesus can easily overlook the value of one. It might not seem like, a, you know, just, just one thing or just one person. That might not seem like a big deal until that one is you. Until, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, then at some point that one was you. There was a moment in your life, whether you recognize it or not, when you were dead in your sins and trespasses. And if God's mercy had not spared you and kept you alive, you would have died and gone to a Christless eternity. But God, by His grace and by putting others in His lives, pointed you to Himself. And you came to know and believe in Jesus Christ and found forgiveness of your sins and citizenship in the heavenly kingdom. And so one really does make a difference. One invitation to church, one message of hope, one neighbor, one co-worker, one family member, one friend. Can we name one person who has come to faith in Christ through our invitation, through our witness? I pray that at the end of the year, a year from today, we might be able to say, yes, it's true. God in His grace has used me to be a part of the work that He is doing, has done in leading one to Him. It's the gospel that makes it possible. In Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul said that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So let us not be ashamed of it before our one, before our friends, neighbors, co-workers. 
family members. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation. You see, that's the whole point. The power doesn't rest in us. It rests in the message, the gospel message. All we have to do is deliver the message and let God do the saving. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So what we want to do is we've got to go and get the message to them. But to do that, it requires being Intentional, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Intentional for our ones. And we're going to read this morning from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. Verse 43. So if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1, verse 43. says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Word of God. You may be seated. I want to see three practical lessons from this passage this morning. Number one is we need to commit to being an intentional witness. Commit to being an intentional witness. Number two is we have to go and tell. We have to go and tell. Number three, we need to recognize and repent of excuses. Recognize and repent of excuses. So first here, we must commit to being an intentional uh, witness. In this passage, verse 43 through 45, it says that Jesus went, uh, decided to go to Galilee, and Philip was there, and it says that he found Philip. Uh, Jesus uh, found Philip. And then, and then it says that Philip uh, goes and fi- finds Nathaniel. And so we've got to understand here what's, what's uh, happening. Jesus comes and he finds Philip. Now, uh, Jesus doesn't do anything uh, on accident. He's not doing anything willy-nilly. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's being intentional. He went and he found Philip. He was looking for him, and he found him. And when he found Philip, it was after Jesus found Philip that Philip finds out who Jesus is. Philip discovers who this Jesus is. And we have to be careful care, careful here, church, not to let our familiarity with the Bible and, his, and these, these passages that we've read before, not to let our familiarity... Cause us to lose our awe and wonder and the significance of this statement. 
that that uh, that Philip says about Jesus. And of course, just from a literary perspective as well, this is the beginning of the book of John. So also as John is writing this uh, book, in chapter 1, he's putting on the lips these words of Philip because he's intending to tell his readers something important about the identity of Jesus. And so we can't let our familiarity with these things cause us to lose our awe and wonder at what Philip is saying. Philip goes to Nathaniel and he says, Nate... <laughs> Bro, we have found him. Found who? Him. The one that Moses wrote about. The one that the prophets prophesied about. The king of Israel, the Messiah, the promised one. The one whom all the scripture, the, clim- the greatest being who will ever live, the greatest person who, is a- who will ever come into existence. We found him. It's amazing. It's astounding, Nathaniel. We found the king of the world. And he's from Nazareth. You see, Jesus found Philip. And then Philip, by grace, he realized who Jesus was. And then he couldn't wait to find Nathaniel. And the point we want to see this morning is that if we want to lead people to Christ... We must be intentional. We must be intentional. We must be like Philip. Recognize who exactly it is. Remember again who exactly it is that we have found. Or who has found us. And then say, my goodness, we have got to introduce other people to him. And that's what Philip did and that's what we must do. Intentional. What does intentional mean? Just, we could just put it like this. It means just to, to put in effort to do something with purpose or on, on purpose, with a purpose, right? To be intentional just means to, to have, to have a, a, a something you want to do and to make a plan to do it and then to execute that plan. That means it's, you're, not just, you're not just flying by the seat of your pants, you know? We're, we're not, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mental plan. What, the opposite of intentionality is just going with the flow, being a leaf in the wind, Letting others and letting circumstances ultimately and finally determine your schedule rather than you planning your schedule out. It's kind of just vegging out and shutting down in the areas of the li- in our lives that we take for granted. And we all have areas like that. Areas of our life where we take for granted and we're just not intentional as we should be. We don't think, we don't work, we don't plan. Okay, what's my goal in this part of my life, and how can I be intentional? How can I make a plan to make sure that this part of my life is working, it's being effective, it's doing what I want to do? You know, an example of this, a very common example of this is that the areas that we tend to be least intentional oftentimes tend to be the most important. For example, our families. I mean, it's so true, and I feel it. Don't you feel it? That we're so, that the often things we're intentional about are the things that matters the least. And there's a great danger in this world. It's a great danger. And so we really have to think and we really have to pray. We really have to ha- ask God for help because it's easy to be intentional at work because, you know, you, you, know, you think your paycheck, you know, you, you pay your paycheck. And I'm not saying it's not important to be intentional at work. But what I'm saying is, what if you spend your whole life being intentional at work, being intentional for a paycheck, being intentional for this and that, okay, and you, you, you put all your focus and your planning and your energy on this thing over here, and you, you're, you're intentional for a paycheck, but then you get home and you have no plan about how you're going to lead your children to Christ. 
Well, what's the point? You see, what if we're what if we're intentional about the wrong things? What if we work and work and work but have no plan about how our kids or our family members or our loved one or our neighbors are going to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? So, of course, I'm not saying not to work hard in our vocation. But what I am saying is to not neglect ultimate things for lesser things. There is a glory that we give to God by working in our vocation hard for him. But there is also a glory, a great glory and reward for leading someone to faith in Jesus Christ. And I want both of them. There is a reward, don't you know, for those who point others to Jesus. God told Daniel about it in Daniel 12. About the end days of which the Bible says we, live, we are living in them right now. It says, at that, that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since the... Since there was a nation till that time, but at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's what we're talking about. There's a destiny for everybody. But look at the next verse. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And look at this. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Don't you want that? Don't you want to shine for God on the last day knowing that there are some who will, be ri- who will rise to everlasting life? There will be some who rise to everlasting contempt, but that we, by God's grace, can play a role in turning many to righteousness. And, the, and God says that we who turn others to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. So if we'll be intentional for a paycheck... If we'll be intentional to plan a vacation, if we'll be intentional to plan a ball game, let us be intentional for the salvation of eternal souls. Let us work. Let us think. Let us plan. Let us schedule. Let us make happen. For their good and for God's glory. You see, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But we got to go. And we got to tell it. And we got to share it. And say, hey, friend, brother, child, sister, neighbor, co-worker, I found him. We found him. Come and see. And that brings us to the next part. Number one, we have to commit to be an intentional witness. Number two, we have to go and tell. We have to go and tell. In verses uh, 45 again and following, Philip found Nathaniel and said, We have found him of whom Moses... uh, in the law of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. <laughs> come and see. You see, Philip was intentional. Christ had found him, and because Christ found him, Philip's going to go and find others. Philip's going to go and find Nathanael. You see, Christianity, first and foremost, is a go and tell religion. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So part of being a disciple or a follower of Christ is that part parcel of that is being made a fisher of men. Is being made a fisher of men. And it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that the only fishermen who catch fish are the ones who go fishing. 
We can't sit back at home wondering why our bucket's empty. And say, why do I have zero fish if you never go fishing? If we want to reach others for Christ, we have to go fishing. We have to get up and plan. And look, let me tell you something. Fishers, they plan. It's this time of the year. It's this kind of water. It's this kind of fish that I'm going to catch. So guess what? I'm going to use this kind of rod, this kind of reel, this kind of lure, this kind of tackle. I'm going to get my boat ready the night before. People prepare more for a fishing trip than they do coming to church. And how much can we plan? Plan for someone else's salvation, eternal salvation. Nathaniel, uh, Philip went and he found Nathaniel. Because you have to go and you have to tell them. You have to tell them or they won't know. They won't know that someone cares enough about them to tell them that we have found him. We have found him. The one of whom all the scripture has foretold. And of course, of course, when you, you may meet some resistance when you talk to somebody. That's not, that's not, you know, that... That's on them. That's not on you. It's not our job. We can't make them believe. We just deliver the message. Philip goes to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel says, Can anything good come from Rhine? I just offended somebody. <laughs> Can anything good come from Lakeland? That's where I'm from. Smaller than Eastland. Can anything good? Can anything good come from there? You know what Jesus is talking about. You know what, you know what he's talking about. God, Nazareth. I, I've been there. It's, it's much bigger now, but it's a tiny little village. Tiny little village, middle of nowhere. It's in Galilee, right? If you're the real spiritual person in Israel, you don't live in Galilee. You live in Judea. You live around Jerusalem. But now they're in backwards Galilee, way up north on the north side of the country. Can anything good come from Nazareth? But see, what, is, what does Philip do? Philip doesn't say, well, let me, you know, let me whip out all my arguments. Let me whip out all my books. Let me, you know, let me... Let me, let's have a debate about whether something good can come from Nazareth or not. No, no, no. Philip just says, come and see. Just check it out. Come on. Come and see. Come and see. We have to go to tell them to come and see. So the first thing is we have to go to our friends, neighbors, colleagues, co-workers, acquaintances, and introduce them to Jesus. And that's what we're doing. That's all Philip wanted to do. Sometimes we just overcomplicate things, but it's not that complicated. Jesus is alive. He's a real, living, breathing person. And so we're just saying, look, I want to introduce you to somebody who's changed my life. You need to meet him. Come and see. Now, what does this mean practically? What does this mean practically? Well, what, what I want to do for the remainder of this point is just to give some some practical tips here about how we can invite people to come and see. There's just several things that we can point out quickly. Number one is that to go and tell, we can make a friend by being a friend. Make a friend by being a friend. I come across, I, I, heard, I read about a study recently that says that Christians are the faith group that are least likely to have friends that are different from them. The faith group who are least likely to have friends that are different from them. This is troubling because the Bible explicitly identifies Jesus as a friend of sinners. Now, of course, now, of course, when Jesus was a friend of sinners, that doesn't mean, mean, mean he joined them in their sinning, but he was their friend. He cared and they knew it. And we must do the same thing. 
We must, we must seek intentionally. There's that word again. To reach out to others and to be friends to others who don't know Christ. Because how else are we going to tell them the good news of Christ? And how else are we going to show them visibly with our lives the difference that Christ has made in our life? Unless we're with them, unless we're friends with them, unless we talk with them, unless we hang out with them. Doesn't mean we have to go do everything they do, but it means that we're friends, that we care, that they know we care. I heard of a Christian brother once. This is, I just thought it was a wonderful idea. He met a man one time who didn't know Christ. And I can't even remember what it was at this time, but the man had some big hobby that he, was a big, he really enjoyed. And so what did this Christian do? Here's what he did. He goes and he begins to research. He doesn't know about this hobby, but he began to research the hobby and study it and learn about it. Why? So that the next time he talked to him, he could fuel conversation. What is that? It's intentionality. It's saying, I care about this person, so I'm going to go learn about something that they care about so that I have something more to talk about with them, to build a relationship with them, to be a conduit, a vehicle of God's grace toward them. So number one is make a friend by being a friend. Uh, The next one here that we could do, very simple, is invite or ask them to read the Bible and discuss it. To read the Bible and discuss it. I've heard it said before that if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible out loud. There... The whole, the 2,000 years of church history are utterly replete with people who were totally saved, 100% converted by the power of God by simply reading the Bible. Because it's through the Bible that God speaks. In in fact, just a little bit before our passage, the book of John opens up with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. One of the simplest things we can do is to discuss the Bible and invite people to read the Bible. And, and, just, and, and, and say, hey, would you like to read this and then just talk about it and discuss it? Many people may be much more open to that than you think, and that's where God works. That's where God speaks is through His Word. This is probably one of the most critical things we could do, especially as you're developing a relationship with somebody. You could ask them, hey, would you like to read the Bible together? And it's amazing what God will do through his word. And that's, by the way, how people see Jesus, right? How do we know Jesus today? Through his word, through reading the gospels and learning about who Jesus was and what he did and how he acted and how he spoke. It's through his word that we meet the living Jesus. And so if we're going to be a Philip and and tell our friends to come and see Jesus, where are we going to ask them to come and see him? God's word, the truth. And there's another place as well, and that brings us to the next one, and that's invite them to church. Invite them to church. This is today's equivalent of come and see in addition to reading the Bible. And why is that? Because the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. You see that? The church is the body of Christ. So we are the temple of God filled with the Spirit of Christ. We are the visible bodily manifestation of our head in this world. Which is why I and Stephen and and the choir and the musicians and so many others who are involved in our services, it's why we push and pray and work to see that our worship gatherings 
are as worshipful and spirit-filled as possible and that we strive for that and as we work for that. Why? Because there's nothing that shows the glory of God like a church of people who gather together singing praises loudly to God, coming eagerly, coming expectantly every Sunday morning, having prayed on Sunday night, on Saturday night, having prayed on Sunday morning, saying, God, I want you to speak to me this morning and coming ready and willing and eager and expectantly to hear from Almighty God. There's nothing more power. There's no, there's no greater powerful testimony and, and witness to God than when someone comes in and sees a room full of people and they think, wow, they really believe this. They really believe this. It really makes a difference. That's why I also think that there is no greater tragedy. And you've been in these churches where you walk through the door and you walk out on Sunday morning and you ask yourself, does anyone in this room even believe what they're singing? Even believe what they just heard preached? There's no visible sign whatsoever that they believe it. I'm not up for stirring emotion just for stirring up emotion. But it's not enough, hear me now, it's not enough just to believe the truth about God. To be a Christian, you have to love the truth about God. Why? Because the demons believe. And they tremble. They believe in Jesus, but they don't love him. But let me tell you something. When you love something, you don't have to stir up emotions for it. The emotions come out. When we come and when we love God, we're going to come and that emotion is going to be expressed. Did you know that a Baptist can lift their hand and pray to the Lord and the roof won't fall in? (laughs) Did you know that? It sounds crazy, but it's true. By the way, it's in the book. Book of Psalms, look it up. It's in the book. Baptists can lift their hands. Baptists can sing loudly and praise the Almighty God. In fact, if anything, it's pride when we come into church so worried about what other people are thinking that we just can't freely worship God. It's time for us to get over ourselves and say, I ain't here for anybody else. I'm here to worship God Almighty. I don't care if I look like a fool because I'm worshiping God Almighty. And when we come and we tell our ones and we tell them to come and see and they see a room full of people who really believe what they're singing, that shows them the power of Christ. The glory of Christ. Lives changed full of joy and hope and glory, even in the midst of suffering. I heard a stat recently that said, hear me now, that said only 20% of believers will invite another believer to church. So, you're in a, let's say you live in a neighborhood, a new neighbor moves in across the street and you get to talking, and you find out they're a Christian, only one in five Christians will then invite that other Christian to say, hey, will you come to my church? You know how many Christians will invite a non-believer to church? Two percent. Two out of every hundred Christians ever invite a non-believer to church. If you're struggling to know how to reach your one, why why not let it be something as simple as this? Hey, you want to come to church? <laughs> I'll pick you up. I'll take you out to lunch. Invite to church. It's that simple. It's one way to, to be intentional for our ones. Uh, the next one uh, is hospitality. Hospitality. Did you know in the Bible 
that hospitality from Christians is a command. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. They've been grumb- People have been grumbling about being hospitable for 2,000 years. Oh, my house is not clean. Oh, I hadn't prepared. Look, I'm going to preach a sermon on this one day, but there's a difference between entertaining and hospitality. In Jesus Christ, in fear of the Lord, your job is not to impress people, it's to love people. So leave some dirty clothes out. Who cares? In fact, it'll make them feel a lot comfortable. It'll make them... Because they're, they're going to think, well, I'm never going to invite them over to my house because I can't keep my house that clean. That's garbage. It's garbage. We're not trying to impress. We're trying to lead people to Jesus Christ. We're not entertaining. We're showing biblical hospitality without grumbling. I believe one of the most powerful tools that every person possesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the spread of his glory around the world is a table. Open your doors and invite someone in and have them sit at your table. Set some food in front of them cup of coffee, a cup of tea, and said, tell me about yourself. Where are you from? What do you like? What do you don't like? You got any family? Open your doors. Open your table. Wield your table for the glory of God. So commit to be it. And intention. So our points here, make a friend by being a friend. Invite to read the Bible and discuss. Invite to church hospitality. Finally, um, <clears throat> our overarching points was be commit, commit to be intentional witness, go and tell. And finally, number three, recognize and repent of excuses. Recognize and repent of excuses. We all have excuses. I give myself excuses when I don't want to do something that I know I should do. You give yourself excuses when you don't want to do something that you know you should do. What we have to do is be humble enough to acknowledge these excuses to repent of them, to experience a fresh feeling of God's grace as we commit to say, you know what, I'm not going to let that excuse stop me this time from doing what I know God wants me to do. But we have to recognize these things, so I'll try to be quick here. One of the first problems and issues that we face in intentionality is, number one here, spiritual lethargy. Spiritual lethargy. Sharing Christ is the overflow of a heart that is overflowing with God. When, you're over, when your cup runneth over, it's got it's to run somewhere. And it's going to run into other people. But see, if we're in a season of life, which happens at times, and so, sometimes we don't even realize that it has happened, a season of spiritual malaise or lethargy, or we're lukewarm, not really seeking God in prayer and earnestness, in Bible study and in service to Him and service to the saints and in worship, just kind of dry and just kind of honestly spiritually lazy, then, the, then what we need to do is we need to repent of our general disinterestedness in the things of God and beg God for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, a fresh 
passion and a fresh energy and a fresh zeal for the kingdom of God. Because let me tell you something, when you're not walking intimately and closely with the Lord, when you feel distant from God, the last thing you're going to feel like doing is telling somebody else about him. So I really do feel like one of our greatest struggles and problems is this general disinterestedness in the things of God. And we just need to bat, just get before, on our faces before God and get serious and say, God, I want to really be passionate and pursue you. And as you really pursue Christ passionately, that's going to overflow into the lives of others. So spiritual lethargy. Another danger is growing inclusiveness. Growing inclusiveness. This is, this is a, it's always a danger. And sometimes it's more of a dangerous than we'd like to admit. Especially in our culture today and, and in other places, it's, it's, it's even more pronounced. But there are subtle beliefs within the church, spoken or unspoken, that somehow people without Christ are just going to be okay. We, don't want to, we, we might not say it, we might not verbalize it, but honestly, functionally, that's how we live. Uh, well, maybe they'll just be okay. They're not going to be okay. They're not going to be okay. Without Christ, nobody's going to be okay. Only Jesus can save. And that brings us to the next one that's closely related, and that's disbelief in hell. You know, there was a very, you know, there was a man who I, I deeply respect. I'd, I'd recommend his commentaries. I use some of his commentaries. But on this one particular thing, I felt like he was, I felt like he was unduly influenced by the culture around him. He believed in annihilationism. You know, people just cease to exist. Hell is real. And it's terrible. And we don't want anybody to go there. Especially, we don't want anybody to go, go there unwarned and unproclaimed to. The goodness, the grace of Christ, the forgiveness of our sins so that we don't have to bear our sins in hell. Next struggle is busyness. It's busyness. Right? Busyness. We all have priorities, and this is, this is probably one of the toughest in our day. What, what are our priorities in life? What does the way we, we spend our time and our money and our energy actually say about the things that are most important to us? Are people who don't know Christ important to us? I think we need to pray and say, God, we just, I, I need to admit, we all need to admit, God, they're not near as important to me as they need to be. God, help me. God, forgive me. God, change me to feel the urgency and the weight of this matter so that it will make it a priority so that I won't let busyness push it out the way. Another thing, another hindrance for intentionality sometimes is fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. Well, first of all, the number one command, the most commonly repeated command in the entire Bible is fear not. And then it's usually followed by something like this. I am with you. Or, I am the Lord. So God understood that fear would be an issue. He just said, I'm going to be with you, so don't be afraid. And besides that, we don't have to, we don't have to fear of people's response because their response is not, our, is, is not up to us. 
we've just been commissioned to preach the message. And so if people reject you, so be it. I mean, we have no control over that. But at least you know in your heart of hearts, well, I proclaim the message. And besides this, research shows that only 20, roughly one quarter of people are actually opposed to having discussions about faith. And I can guarantee you in Eastman, Georgia, it's a lot less than that. I would be surprised if any of you walked up to somebody who was just outright antagonistic saying, I don't even want to talk about that at all. You might meet a few, but most of the time they'll say, okay, well, you want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. Next thing, next hindrance is a desire to be tolerant. Desire to be tolerant. The culture, of course, preaches tolerance. Of course, what they mean by tolerance is we're tolerant of every view that agrees with us. But there could be a lot of pressure today, and I, I feel it, and I see it, that I feel like there are increasingly number of people, because there are things, there are certain evils and wickedness, types of wickedness, that the culture is aware of as a society. And lots of people, I think, in earning maybe an attempt to gain some, to gain a foothold in the culture, are really agreeing loudly with the culture on some points, on areas that we can agree with them. But here's the, here's the problem. At the end of the day, what's always going to happen, though, is this other issue that's going to come up that you can't agree with them on with. And at some point, you're going to be forced to choose whether you're going to weaken your views on some things, which is what a lot of professing Christians are doing today. We soften your views on some things in order to remain relevant to the culture. Or you're going to say, or you're going to have to say, look, I love you. Look, I support you, but I, I can't, I can't agree with this. And people are going to have to decide. You're going to have to decide what you're going to do, who you're going to stand with. You see, the gospel is innately offensive. Some Christians make it uh, unnecessarily offensive by being a jerk. Don't do that. The gospel is offensive enough because Jesus looks every single individual in the eye and says, repent and follow me. But see, we don't need to put, we don't have to add additional stumbling blocks in front of that. If we do, shame on us because that's a big enough stumbling block. You have to bow down all your will and submit it to Jesus to be saved. And the final thing here, as we close, is is hindrance uh, issue is the lack of accountability. We talk about this a lot. I really think it's so important. That's why I asked you to find a mission partner on your mission plans, which we still have copies of that in the vestibule. Your mission partner. Why? Because we all need accountability. There are all things that we know we need to do, but we just can't find the inner self-control or discipline by ourselves to do it. But if we have someone there with us, pushing us, holding us accountable, we can. And, there, and by the way, accountability is everywhere. I don't know why we gripe about it in the church. If you work in a certain place, your employer is watching you. And if you do a poor job, they're going to say something to you about it. Tests at school. Many of you are teachers. You give tests. Why? Because if you don't give tests, the kids will never study. That's why. You give a test. For what? For accountability. Trainers in the gym. All these tools are used to do what? To force us to do what is good and right to do, but what we may slack to do on our own. And we, we can wield the power of that for something as great as leading others to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So as we close this morning, we need to commit to be an intentional witness. We need to go and tell, and we need to recognize 
and repent of excuses. Uh, I just want to close briefly with a story and give praise to God. Uh, the other week, I was just really burdened by this and just praying for God to give me opportunities. Okay? Uh, I was giving somebody a ride. Somebody in the place that I was, drop, I was taking them to, somebody in that place recognized the people I was giving a ride to and came out, and that person needed a ride somewhere else. So I dropped that person off and took this total stranger across town, young man, and I started asking him a few questions, and he unloads his life on me. And I got to share Christ with him. And I, I tried to reach out further to him, and uh, uh, hadn't been able to, but I believe that was a divine appointment. You see, I, you can't orchestrate things like that. You just pray and pray and pray and say, God, open up doors. God, open up doors. And I believe what I said to that young man. I believe the Lord will use it. If he doesn't use it now, I believe he'll use it later. To say, hey, somebody cares, somebody knows, and that's God. And so if we seek, if we're, if we're intentional in some areas, I really believe that God will then just open up opportunities out of nowhere in others. So if we pursue him faithfully, be intentional, do a mission plan, write it out, write out your plans and actually work and plan it to do it. I believe God will work and then he'll work above and beyond what you plan to lead others to saving faith in him. And as we close uh, this morning, the final thing, most important thing I need to say is maybe there's someone in here who doesn't know Jesus. You can know him today by turning from your sins and trusting him and following him. And I'd love to talk to you about that as we sing our song of decision, or you can find me after the service, but I'd love to talk to you about how you can be forgiven of your sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for